Welcome to episode 20 of the G2 on 5G. It's the latest inside scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 15 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, and joining me again this week is my fellow partner in crime, Anshul Sai. Let's get started with my first topic. Cisco announced a rural broadband initiative this week, and I continue to be impressed with what they are doing to invest in the uh, unconnected. It's astonishing, over half the world still does not have uh, internet connectivity. And this program is gonna focus on a number of areas, including a lab effort. Uh, the lab is scheduled to be open, uh, Cisco is saying, uh, later this year to early next year in the Raleigh-Durham area. And um, it's gonna, again, it's gonna focus on, you know, bringing not only, you know, Wi-Fi connectivity, but, you know, LTE and 5G. And this is a game changer from my perspective. I mean, ag tech can benefit from it. You can apply connectivity on a more consistent basis to drive improvements in crop yields and that sort of thing. And honestly, you know, a lot of people that are in rural areas are just underserved in general by broadband. So, you know, I think this is, uh, you know, it, it's, it's quite impressive from my perspective. I'm very passionate about this topic. And Cisco also happens to be uh, very um, adamant and driving uh, OpenRAN and they participate in a lot of forums and that sort of thing. And I think OpenRAN, can be uh, that CapEx key to unlock uh, the economic challenges in rural because, you know, Angela, as you know, um, you know, carriers build um, services on top of amortized infrastructure and you've got fewer subscribers in rural. So it's sort of a chicken and egg thing. I'm, I'm wondering, what are your thoughts here? Well, I think um, rural broadband is kind of a, a hot topic um, in America right now mm -hmm. um, because, you know, places where I live, I have, gigabit fiber um, and I have 5G on all three carriers in San Diego sure. so um, you know I go up to some other rural areas like I recently went to visit friends up in northern northern California up in Eureka mm -hmm. and they were astonished that T-Mobile had 5G up there because they've been so used to having one operator which was Verizon for so long that they had no idea that T-Mobile had impressive and fast 5G speeds where they live they've just become so accustomed to having bad coverage and bad speeds mm -hmm. that um, they just expected nothing to happen. So I, I, I think it's a huge deal. And um, I think it's, it's ex extremely important um, for, for people who live in rural areas. And also, honestly, I think it's a big, big political um, technology topic. It is. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And it's, uh, you know, it's no secret that um, the current administration is very focused on rapidly deploying 5G. There's been this 5G fast plan, um, subsidies. I mean, some of it is rip and replace of Chinese infrastructure, but um, 5G is viewed as a GDP driver. And I'm gonna talk a little bit more about that in my third topic, but let's shift to your first topic. And you wanna talk about um, case systems and a new millimeter wave CPE. Yeah, so CASA Systems, um, I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. Um, they had a trial with Qualcomm where they were able to get 2.4 miles of millimeter wave connectivity um, using their CPE um, partnering with Qualcomm. And um, basically this week they were announcing the product that was, you know, that's born out of that research mm -hmm. um, and technology, and it's called um, an the RS AI, which is their millimeter wave access point, um, and is basically designed to operate on, um, you know, 28 gigahertz 
Um, it's designed to, you know, give people, um, you know, home broadband connections that can, you know, reach in the gigabits per second mm -hmm. um, and cover whole neighborhoods. So that way you can have one really strong, you know, millimeter wave um, cell um, in the middle of a neighborhood and feed, you know, hundreds of homes, which is ultimately the biggest problem with deploying, you know, high bandwidth broadband to consumers is that last 500 last, feet of coverage. Yeah, last feet, not even last mile. Yeah. Yeah. It's not even last mile anymore. Yeah. Um, so it's just getting it from the node, the last node to the home and fiber to the home is expensive unless you roll it out when you build the, right. you know, the apartment complex or the housing. So mm -hmm. um, I think, I think millimeter wave is going to be a huge opportunity and process systems um, is going to be a big um, driver of that, I believe. And I think it's also maybe why, um, uh, you know, some companies uh, may have partnered with, um, say Samsung on millimeter wave mm -hmm. to, um, you know, improve what their network can do on the millimeter wave, which I think is your second topic. It is. Yeah. It's a great segue. So this week, Samsung and Verizon announced um, a renewed partnership, um, a commitment on Verizon's part to spend $6.6 .6 billion in infrastructure to support next generation 5G services. So, there weren't a lot of details tied to this, uh, this announcement, but it's no secret. Samsung's been a key partner, Samsung Networks, with Verizon, with their fixed wireless access um, rollout initially. And now, um, you know, they're in the throes of uh, helping Verizon deploy their mobile 5G network. So, um, you know, as a side note, um, you know, I was, I was reading, you know, some other analyst comments, and um, the thought was that this is a big blow to Nokia. Um, that, you know, this is going to take away, you know, um, you know, uh, a revenue, you know, kind of a, 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 an addressable market, you know, for them in the U.S. Yeah, it's a lot of money. And, you know, Samsung continues to, you know, to really leverage its relationship with Verizon to build its footprint outside of its core, you know, Asian market. You know, mm -hmm. when you look back at 3G and you look at back at LTE, um, Samsung Networks was really, really focused just on its core, you know, market of Korea, Japan, and, and Asia. And so with Verizon, they're, they're really blowing it up. Any, any thoughts here on your part? Uh, I think that um, this is a big deal for Samsung. Um, it established them as a global 5G vendor mm -hmm. um, because, you know, like you said, they've mostly been in Asia. Um, so winning, winning a big win with Verizon I think they also had a win with U.S. Cellular a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, they've got multiple billions of dollars of business um, just in the U.S. alone. Um, and I have a feeling that they're going to get looked at more seriously by other um, operators that are not in the U.S. but are aligned with the U.S. Um, politically um, mm -hmm. and are starting to pull out um, Huawei equipment. And now they have, a, you know, now they know that they have a reliable option um, other than Ericsson and Nokia to look at. Um, so I think it's good for Samsung. And I do agree that it is kind of bad for Nokia. But I think Nokia's, the way Nokia is moving um, also doesn't really um, have too much bearing on this, I think. Mm -hmm. Because I don't really see Verizon as a big open RAN customer. Um, 
or one that you know is pushing any of these more open standards. Um, so I think Nokia is looking for an, a different market and different customers uh, based on their their current plan. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, Verizon is uh, embracing virtualization. Um, Samsung definitely, when you look at the big infrastructure providers, uh, it's Nokia and Samsung networks that are bullish on Open RAN, and you've got, you know, Huawei and Ericsson that are less bullish. And mm -hmm. you, know, you, could, you could guess, you know, what the obvious reasons are there. I mean, it's going to erode, um, you know, their core, you know, infrastructure business potentially. But there's, there's lots of software, you know, opportunities there as well. And all of these, you know, all of these big infrastructure providers, you know, provide that. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that all plays out. So let's shift to your second topic this week. And you want to talk a little bit about T-Mobile. Seems like we talk about T-Mobile every week. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think, you know, I think it's fair that we do talk about T-Mobile every week. But it's also because they're the ones leading the charge on 5G in almost every imaginable way, right? They're still the only that. operator. Right, we predicted you know, that even before the, the merger yeah. came together. <laughs> They're still the only operator with standalone network in the U.S., um, and it's nationwide. And they're the only ones who actually have spectrum in all three bands, all three forms of 5G bands. Mm -hmm. um, and they're the ones aggressive. Well, I would argue the most aggressively rolling out 5G. So yeah. it's no shock then that they announced another 2.5 gigahertz um, technology advance. Um, this was with Ericsson. Um, they partnered with Ericsson to um, deliver a single 100 megahertz channel of 2.5 gigahertz, um, which would use multi-user MIMO, which is basically allowing you to connect to multiple users at the same time and feed them all simultaneously instead of in serial as you deliver packets. Yeah. Um, and they were able to connect eight devices on the same cell at 700 megabits per second each. Holy moly. That's which crazy. translates to a peak throughput of that cell of 5.6 gigabytes per second on the 2.5 gigahertz band. Wow. So that's, that's, like, that's like millimeter wave-like <laughs> performance. I was, was going to say, yeah. <laughs> but using mid-band. Um, obviously, you know, being very efficient with the use of spectrum because of MU-MIMO, um, which is actually was previously uh, a Wi-Fi technology. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, they were able to connect eight users simultaneously, 700 megabits each, using the eight-layer um, MU-MIMO. Um, so like eight, or no, not eight, 16, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're using 16-layer 16 layers of MU MIMO, yeah. which is double what they currently have. Um, so that's part of the reason why they're able to get so much bandwidth out of it. Mm -hmm. um, because they just have double the layers to work with. Yeah. Um, but also that's the technology that they're saying they're going to have in 2021. So, yeah, so this is a proof of concept, right? So this isn't production yet, correct? Correct. This is, this is a test um, that they did with Ericsson to kind of prove out what, they can do with it, what they can do with the 2.5 gigahertz band yeah. um, with proper beam forming and, and you know, um, yeah. being able to guide the beams in the right direction while also serving people simultaneously and, and kind of, you know, taking some of the benefits of millimeter wave and, and bringing them to 2.5. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a huge advancement. Um, 
And it's, it's, I think it's going to be a big thing for um, T-Mobile because this is such a big band for them and they have so much yeah. of it yeah. that I think that there's going to be opportunities for them to fully um, utilize their, their 2.5 gigahertz in ways that I don't think we even understand yet. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing. I mean, that mid band, the propagation is, is already solid. You know, it's a great balance of performance and, and propagation. And if these, you know, these proof of concepts, these trials that we're seeing here, you know, come into production, I mean, it could unlock a whole host of, of transformation in use cases. So it'll be fun to keep an eye on that. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely do that. Let's move to my third and final topic this week. And uh, the U.S. government committed to invest $1 billion in 5G and other emerging technologies. And those other emerging technologies include things like edge and, and AI. And what I found interesting is that what, what's going to really be the impetus behind this is a lab effort at several major universities, including my alma mater, the University of Texas. And I think I've mentioned in the past, there's a, um, there's a wireless lab consortium there that works with industry partners such as Qualcomm, NI, Samsung. Uh, Huawei was a participant for a while as well. I'm not sure if they're still participating, but um, you know, th this is, you know, this is pretty exciting. I mean, the U.S. government is serious about their commitment to 5G. They clearly understand, you know, the GDP impact that bringing, you know, high speed and low latency connectivity um, to the masses will, will, will net out. And uh, so I think this is just another salvo in the U.S.'s effort to stay ahead of that, that global 5G race. Any, any thoughts there? Yeah, I had a question since I didn't know about this. Um, how long, over what period of time is that billion dollars being spent or granted? That's a, that's a really, really good question. And um, let, me, let me look for that um, because uh, it wasn't apparent to me when I read through the article um, what that was. The reason why I ask is just because I find that a lot of these programs are, are, are multi-year efforts, right? Yeah. It's not just for next year. So it might be like a billion dollars over the next decade, right? So yeah, a billion yeah. dollars over the next decade is only $100 million a year, which in my opinion is not enough. So even if you, let's say it's five years, it's still $200 million a year. I just don't feel like that's enough money to really um, properly um, support a lot of the research that's going on. Like I think you remember that research that, uh, was it DARPA that was doing? Where they had the um, software defined cellular networks and so they could do um, spectrum pairing like yeah, you shared, you shared that on a podcast. Yeah, Remember that? That's like yeah. kind of older. Um, but that was like fully government funded. And I think that's something really interesting. Whether, yeah. I'm, whether or not we'll actually do it or use it, I'm not sure. But I think the idea of, you know, allowing someone to explore an idea that may not be profitable for our business to do, I think is a really valuable thing for our government to do. And I yeah. just feel like maybe a billion dollars is a bit, a bit low. Yeah, here, yeah, I just scanned the article and I don't find, you know, any sort of time horizon, but that there is a divvy of funds between this lab effort that I was referring to um, because there, there's several technologies. There's AI Edge and, and 5G and there's some other ancillary ones as well. So it's, they, they show that they're dividing these, these kind of. So it's even, that. it's even less. <laughs> yeah. So it's getting stretched over, you know, you know, different modalities, but but obviously, AI uh, has a has a huge impact in 5G, and 
you know, bringing, you know, you know, more predictability and insurance and, you know, higher quality of service and that sort of thing. So these things I believe are going to intermesh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the U S government continues, you know, to dedicate, you know, you know, funds to get the infrastructure, you know, in, in order. So well, let's move to your third topic. And, um, I'm just going to throw it to you and let you take us through the third topic. Sure. So, uh, one of the big, uh, companies that's been, building a lot of hype in the XR space is Unreal. Mm -hmm. um, they have these uh, glasses, which are very small, low profile, very high quality, very light. Um, they're getting a lot of attention and they've actually already announced a uh, bundle with the Note 20 Ultra uh, in Korea with LG U Plus. Mm -hmm. So you can already buy these and use them with a smartphone. Um, so they're, they're AR glasses, but, okay. uh, what, what the big deal is, one, that they raised $40 million uh, and a Series B, which is a big amount of money, um, is going to give them the opportunity to grow internationally, I believe, because um, mm -hmm. they've been pretty focused on Korea, um, even though they are a Chinese company. Um, but it seems like the Korean operators are very focused on them. I think they also have a partnership with Deutsche Telekom. Mm -hmm. um, so those are the two places where they're really um, focused right now, but I think you'll give them opportunities to expand into the U.S. and other markets with this $40 million uh, round, mm -hmm. but also uh, LGU Plus with their partner, or their lead partner, um, also spearheaded an XR content alliance for, five, for use on 5G networks last week, which we didn't cover in the podcast, but I wanted to bring up now sure. because I'm bringing up Unreal and 5G, um, and you know, Unreal really wanted their, their platform to operate on 5G phones, which is why they paired it with the Note 20 Ultra. Mm -hmm. um, or the Note 20, I don't think it matters which one you get. Um, yeah. But that new 5G content um, XR alliance uh, includes Qualcomm, uh, KDDI, Bell, China Telecom, and the content house Felix and Paul. So um, they've pretty much picked some of the best operators in the world and Qualcomm, as well as Felix and Paul, who make some of the best VR content in the world. Yeah. Um, so I'm very excited to see what this um, alliance or partnership or I guess you could call it an alliance. Yeah. Um, XR content alliance on 5G will, will produce moving forward because I think there's a vast shortage of content right now. Yeah, I agree. Like I, you know, I, I bought, um, you know, I think it was a year ago, the Oculus was, is it the Oculus? If, if I'm not the mistaken. Quest. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's sat in the, it's just, it's really big and bulky and it's just sort of sat in the drawer there, but I'm assuming like this, this, you know, this, this goggle, this, this, uh, it looks like sunglasses. Okay. So it's very, it's very thin and lightweight and it looks like a slightly bulky pair of sunglasses, oh, gotcha. but not very bulky. Like if you saw somebody across the street, you wouldn't know they were wearing air glasses. Got it. Versus the others that I, the, that I have, you would definitely, I'd be a nerd. I'd be like bumping into stuff. <laughs> yeah. I keep most of the nerding at home. Yeah. <laughs> Probably a good thing, man. Well, that sounds really cool, you know, and I, you know, I think the applications for these thinner, lighter goggles are, you know, not, not only for, you know, consumer, you know, mixed reality applications, but for, for enterprise, you know. Well, enterprise is what's driving time. most of the consumption right now for yeah. most of the AR. And the thing is, these XR glasses, um, a lot of them are focusing on enterprise right now, and they don't, you know, consumers coming second. Um, so that's why companies like Magic Leap had to pivot to enterprise. 
Yeah. Um, but the, the long-term vision is actually that a lot of these glasses will run through your phone, yeah. but will actually not use your phone for processing. And that edge compute on the 5G networks will do most of the heavy lifting. You got it. And that's yeah. part of the reason why I think these alliances exist as well. Yeah. No, it's exciting stuff. I know, you know, mixed reality, AR, VR is an area you cover. So look forward to future updates here. So, hey, bud, another great podcast. Why don't you take us home? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone would, out there would like to provide insight on a specific 5G topic on, for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will is at Willtown Tech, and I'm at Anshul Sag. We hope you have a great weekend, and please tune in again next week.